So Luke chapter 11, verse 14 is where we're going to begin. But um, kind of with that same thing is, it's interesting, the whole counsel word God, uh, God's word, and you kind of see two sways in, in some of society. You get so people where they're so into studying for head knowledge or, or for the doctrine that they have all this biblical knowledge and it's in their head, but, but it hasn't made that 18 inches to their heart. And it isn't affecting their lives and how to love other people, you know. One of, one of the things shared there and, and was talking about, you know, men and you see men and qualifications and you really recognize what men of God has brought up. You know, when we ordain somebody or pray for somebody or appoint them into leadership, it's somebody God's already called. They're already doing it. Usually when you, you know, uh, uh, ordain an elder or a pastor, everybody in the church goes, duh, they've been that for a year. You just didn't give them the title. And that's all we're doing is recognizing what God has done in a life. And one of the questions was, you know, you get men and you get some of these men, they meet all the qualifications. They have all this knowledge. They know how to serve, but they don't love the people. There isn't the heart connection yet. And so you can have that where you have this head knowledge. You know, there's, there's a reason we joke about seminaries being cemeteries, because you get all this head knowledge and, and, and sometimes confusion, but it isn't actually being put into practice in your life. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where it's experience. I have a relationship with God, it's all in my heart, and I had this feeling, I had this experience, and, and even though that experience sometimes might be contradictory to the Bible, but you don't understand because I had this great experience. So it had to be God. And so... You can kind of see these two things, and really what happens is, I, I kind of wrote it out here, is God desires the working of his word by the renewing of her, our minds that it may create in us a new heart, that that heart would be overflowing with his love for others, affect our lives, and that the whole world would see that light in us. It's both, that we would have that solid knowledge of truth and that truth would become application in our heart. It would change our heart for others and other people. And then it, that would become an overflow in our lives to love others. And so as we go through the scripture this morning, we're, we're going to be looking. There's some doctrinal things, some things we kind of uh, see that are different than other, um, I guess, fellowships and people. Not to say their raw um, hearts are off, but is it biblical? And as we go through, we look at these things, and how does it apply to my life, you know? And so, as we study the Word and you study the Word, yes, there's great head knowledge, but also let time for that Word of God to affect your heart. What's it going to change? And so, in verse 14, as we start out here, it, it begins and it says, And he was casting out, or casting out a demon, and it was mute. So, it... So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitude marveled. Now, as we're going through the scripture, it kind of seems like Luke just kind of throws that in there. A little thing, okay, Jesus cast out a demon. We've seen him cast out demons before. But the crowd is really marveling at this. And the reason this is, um, is at that time, the Jewish uh, leadership and stuff had this kind of way of casting out demons. And what you had to do to have power over a demon was to know its name. And so if you knew its name or you could give it, get it to give you its name, you now had authority to cast it out. Now we have a problem here. Now you have a guy who's mute. Oh no. You can't cast it out because you can't get his name. 
So this is where the crowd is marveling because this man can't speak. This guy is, in their opinion, demon-possessed and now hopeless because of it. And so when Jesus goes and casts it out, they're all marveling at it. And, and we kind of see two responses to this marveling. It, it's kind of interesting because even though we have these examples in Christian today, there are Christians that believe you have to name the demon or whatever demon it is to cast it out of the person. You know, you got to make sure you get it and they, they have this plan. But we see again and again in scripture that the sure doesn't seem to matter for God. And, you know, again, over the experience, let's go to the word of God and see what it says. You know, we, we don't see that in Scripture, that you have to have the demon's name for it to come out of somebody, you know? And so you have these two groups, and you have them marveling. The first group here, but some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, so group one goes, okay, he cast out demons because, well, obviously they're friends, you know? He didn't need to know its name because he already knows it and he's in control, right? You know, we can't do it that way, so we're going to make up the excuse. And the word Beelzebub is another word for Satan or the word they would have used uh, to refer to Satan or the powers of evil. Um, really, it comes from the kind of the uh, first King James and, and the worship of Baal, okay? And, and Beelzebub, and, and Baal really means, this term really is kind of freaky when you think about the books we've had in, in school growing up, means the Lord of the Flies, okay, the Lord of Disgusting. When you think of Jewish culture, what it meant to be clean, you couldn't even touch the outside of a tomb, flies were really bad, right, because they're touching all kinds of things, right? And so he's saying, hey, this is, they're calling him the Lord of the Flies, they're calling him Satan here. You know, and the other group in verse 16 here, it says, And others, testing him, sought him for a sign from heaven. Okay, so you cast out. We want to we see a bigger sign, a bigger show. Show something great, you know. And um, it's interesting because even after this time, even after Christ passed away and, and rose from the dead again, there was others that came in to try to take Jerusalem sideways and the Jews sideways claiming to be the Messiah. One guy actually had a huge crowd, one of the biggest crowds in history after Christ, had a big crowd, and he didn't do any signs. He promised he was going to do a sign. He said he was going to go part the Jordan, and boy, were the people behind him and the Jews, the Hanhedrin and everything else, this is our guy, until he didn't part the Jordan, right? But he, that's what they wanted. They wanted a big sign. They were all for him. This, you know, that guy, even though he was false prophet and fake, at least he knew what to be selling these people. He knew what their heart, hearts were after, right? And so you have this second group who wants the show. But in verse 17, it says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against its uh, house of uh, divided against a house falls. If saint also becomes is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast out demons? Therefore, they will be your judge. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you. So Jesus turns around and goes right after their logic here. Your, your sons are casting out demons, are they? Right? It's like there's a catch-22. Okay, so if I did it by Satan, how do you differentiate besides what I'm doing and what your sons have been part of, what, are, what the priests have been part of, right? And so he, he simply brings it out. But then let's go to the 
the, the next obvious, this is what I love, you know, you get to one side of the, okay, we'll, maybe they'll agree it wasn't by Satan, you caught us there, but then who did I do it by? Who was it done by? Oh, maybe I did it by the finger of God. And if that's the case, the kingdom of God is standing before you now, you better listen to what's saying and, and, and really slow down and think about these things. And so Jesus brings that out. And it, it's amazing to me when you sit down and you look at this, and, and sometimes, you know, being in church and things, we don't slow down to think of simple things that are going through. There are many fellowships that really don't believe, well, Satan. I mean, the world, especially today, right? You say, oh, we believe in Satan. They're thinking of a little guy in spandex with a pitchfork. They're not thinking of what we, or as you study the Bible, understand is Satan and is out there and is working in the world, right? And the amazing thing is Stanford had a group of guys, right, PhDs, and since they're all smart, they study these spiritual phenomenon and, and, you know, looked at these people who are possessed and all this, and they are, wow, they're so amazing, so intelligent. They are so revered. Because these guys, because they have PhDs and studied at Stanford, to look into the paranormal, ooh, they're revered. But if you come to them as a Christian and say, yes, I believe there's demons and Satan, they go, you're nuts. You're foolish. You're weird. Okay, you got a guy. You know, and they even, you know, they get this, right away they get this picture, of, you know, poor little guy on your shoulder with a pitchfork and, you know, what, you got an angel on the other? I mean, it's interesting to see, but when, when we look at it, not to um, get into a study on Satan by any means, but we do know where Satan come from and his fall in this situation and, and that he's contrary to God. And um, uh, Ezekiel twenty eight thirteen, as you go through, talks about Satan and where he came from in that time and, and what was going on in heaven before creation and those things and his fall. Um, Isaiah fourteen twelve. if you turn there. So Isaiah 14, 12 says, How you... Or, yeah, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the most high of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You know, and it's, it's interesting to sit there and look at that. His, he, 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 being there, being God's, it said, most beautiful creation angel, sat there, looked at God and said, I'm going to be like the Most High. He's at least honest. If man wrote this, guess what it would say? It would say, Satan said, I am going to be God. Right? Wouldn't that be logical? I'm going to be God. Satan, being in the presence of God, knowing who God is, knows he cannot be God. He wants to be like him. He wants to have the same authority. He wants to have the same attention, the same glory. But he knew he couldn't be God. That's why we, you, know, you look at simple things like that. It's if we were making up a religion. No, he'd want to be God, which, you know. I just always find things like that interesting. But you sit here and you look at it. And um, you, you see those things. And here he has this desire to be like God, but he was cast down. He is, he is contrary to God. In that sense, and he's a real being. He's a dangerous being. He is scary. 
You know, and I think we can get to the point, and again, Satan isn't omnipresent. He isn't everywhere. He isn't God. He is a fallen angel. Demons followed him out. So I, don't, I doubt I've ever ran into him. I don't, I'm small potatoes, right? I think he has more important things to do. You know, and the people go, well, oh, obviously, somebody like Hitler had some, I think he just was fine with Hitler. He just let him go. He's not an attack. He's totally on my side. Why should I bother that guy at all, right? But there's things I'm sure he comes up against, right? And I don't think it's, it's you know, you, you start to look at things. In James, it talks about your tongue being as dangerous as a fire. That word fire is, is not just a forest fire. It is hell fire, straight from hell. And you see the things that come into our ears. You see the media. You see the things coming out. You see this, this, this twisted, you know, it, it, it's subtle, right? It's, oh, this is acceptable. It's not this. Oh, we're just going to, okay, we're going to take the word of God, just like in the garden, and we're just going to question it a little. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of this tree? Did God in the Bible really say this isn't socially acceptable now? Well, when, when's life begin as a child? You know, is it really sin if it doesn't affect anybody else? I mean, me living my life happy, if it doesn't have any effect on anybody else, how can you call that sin? Murder, obviously, God should judge. That's mean to somebody else. But if I'm just doing something that affects me, how can God call that sin? Isn't that our society today? No, I should be free because it's not really hurting anybody else. Even though the Bible says it's destroying you, or even though the Bible says it's causing destruction, we don't want to admit that. We don't want to admit, I mean, nobody, anybody in here like, oh yeah, I like to admit that my sin's destructive. No, it's a hard thing to do. God, help me. Being a savior, you know, needing a savior. The world doesn't want to admit, oh, these things are wrong. They're contrary to God. You know, and you sit down and you look at it, and Satan, where does that come from? Where's that thought? Did God really say, oh, but, you know, gay marriage and this and that, and they just want to be happy. What's the word of God say? Do you trust it? Or, well, my experience is it appears like, look at, you know, I, I, many times you run into different philosophies and many brothers and sisters I love and, and, you know, pray they grow in it. And even with me, if there's any philosophy I have out, if I'm taking God's word into my head and it's going into my heart and it doesn't work, my philosophy is going to have to change. You know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. If you read the Bible, you in there, you see it, good. Now apply it to your life. How does that work? And what I love so many times is, as um, um, being a newer pastor and, and some of these biblical principles we've learned from some godly men that have gone through a lot, and you go, wow, that really works. I haven't had an opportunity to actually do something I was taught all through ministry. And then you do it, and it, wow. It's effective and it works. So it's not just the knowledge of it, but, you know, I'm not going to translate the Bible based on my experience and say, well, it must mean this because this seemed to work. No. It's going to go the opposite way, but many times you serve and you go, wow, I applied this scripture and wow, it works. You know? Love thy wife and you'll have happy, wow, that works. You know? And so you see those things and, and um, Satan loves to get in there and question that though. Will it really work? Could you really want to trust him with that? You know, don't, don't you think you know a little better than God? I mean, when you say it out loud, it's stupid, right? No, of course I don't know better than God. But we go there, we think about it, and that's where Satan's working. He's constantly, the Bible says he's, he, he, he's like a roaring lion looking for him whom to devour. 
He's, a, he's an adversary. And, and even Jesus calls him a strong man here. When we look down at the next verse here, it's in verse 21, it says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he, he takes from him his armor, which he trusted in, and divides his spoils. Now, Satan is a ruler of this time and this period. You definitely, God isn't ruling over this time. It's Satan, the power of the air, right? He was cast down. He's the ruler of this world. But Jesus came to gather out of the darkness those who are his, right? And we see in, second, in Revelations 12, the second fall of, of Satan there, right? There isn't this battle. You know, I, lo- I love the game of opposites. We kind of played it before. We play it again here. It's the opposite of on, off. The opposite of white, black. The opposite of God? No, it's not Satan, is it? And then there isn't this battle, and, and a couple you know, people believe, oh, there's going to be this great. No, Michael the archangel is sent to get him, and Michael the archangel seals him up for a thousand years. There isn't this battle between God and Satan. No, he sends another angel to go take care of him. It's not a problem. By the finger of God, he seals him away. You know, you look at that. The amazing thing is I love about that verse, the same seal that Satan is sealed up with for a thousand years, that same word is used for us in Christ. We are sealed in Christ. So if that seal holds Satan away, well, does that seal seal us in Christ where he can't get through it either? And so you look at this and you see these things and here you have the strong man, but when a stronger one comes in, and, and I, this, this term, you know, fully armed, you ever hear the term armed to the teeth? You know what armed to the teeth means? You, you have so much swords and everything on you, have no other place to put it besides in your teeth. You've got a blade also between your teeth. That's the, the historic picture there, which is pretty cool, right? This guy is fully armed. He's dangerous. But there's a stronger man, right? But we have Jesus. And so as we look at this, and we're there, and, and, and it says, you know, if you look back up, it says, you know, by the finger, by the finger of God, this man was freed from a demon. We have that in the, the Old Testament as well. You have, you know, um, the finger of God caused the dust of the earth in Egypt to be turned into lice. And at that point, Pharaoh's uh, musicians were done, right? The finger of God there. The finger of God who wrote on the tablets the Ten Commandments. Just the finger. It doesn't seem like a big struggle, not even an arm wrestle. You know, we're just doing finger wrestling, thumb wrestling, and God's got him whipped. And so it's interesting, but, you know, we sit there, and, and you can look at these things, and um, we can, two things happen. We either give Satan not enough credit for who he is and the destruction he can cause in this world, or you give him too much control and power than he actually has and he doesn't have any power in your life as a believer you know Jesus continues on in verse 23 and he says he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gathered with me scatters you talk about a warning he's going hey if, if you're not with me if you're not for this kingdom then you're of another one there isn't a, oh, I'm between, you know, I'm not for Satan, really. 
and I'm not really for God. I'm just doing my own thing. No, you've deceived yourself. You're in one kingdom or the other kingdom. And there is a warning here, which is almost prophetic. What happens to Jerusalem? The Jewish people after this, they are scattered. All those that weren't from them, Jerusalem was scattered, destroyed, torn apart, not one stone upon the other in the, the temple. In verse 24, and it says, And when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he uses this example here, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, goes through a dry place seeking rest, finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. He goes and he takes seven others Yeah, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter the dwelling there. And the last, the last state of the man is worse than the first. Jesus kind of drops this warning. And he's dropping this warning. This warning is to the, obviously the man who was demon-possessed, right? So, okay, now you're an empty slate, but you need to be filled up with something. Now you're free from these things, but there's still a hole. There's a gap. And if that gap's left open, it's going to be worse. You're going to be worse off than you were before. And, and you, I, I've seen, you know, people and, and they go and, you know, God saved me from meth. God saved me from this. And they go off and now they're living a socially accepted wicked life. And they're worse off than they were before. And, and the state is at least when they were on drugs and in meth and those things, they knew they were in sin. Now they're socially acceptable. I got a job. I'm doing this. I'm doing these good things. They're still in sin. They're still headed down a path of destruction, a longer path of destruction maybe. But now everybody's, good job. You know, I, I was out once in, in South Stockton. I ran across a lady we were sharing with. And um, she told me, she goes, yeah, if you come back by here because we're working a job. He goes, man, just after 12 o'clock, don't talk to me. She goes, by then I find something and I'm, I'm so wasted. By noon I'll be wasted every day and, and I really don't want you to meet that person. And so, but she was honest. That's who I was. At the same time, we were doing a job um, in a town which I live on the river and this guy had a gorgeous house. And the contractor I was working for at the time, as we're going through the project and different things have to get done, it was, uh, you know, just cooked some complicated things and stuff. He goes, yeah, well, I'm going to deal with them, but I'm not going to talk to him in the morning. Well, I said, okay, well, we kind of need to get a decision on this. He goes, right now wouldn't be good. I'm going to wait until afternoon. This guy owns multi-million dollar company. I'm going to wait until the afternoon because he comes home about lunchtime and then I'll talk to him. Really? What's, what's going to, because he's drunk by then. But nobody would ever tell this guy, boy, he got it wrong. Look at his house. Look at it. I mean, this guy's set. You know, don't talk to you know, don't you want to talk to him afternoon so you can get whatever you want, you know, sadly, whatever you want out of the guy, you know? He'll, he'll be a lot more workable by then. And so the state of a man, it, it is worse. And so was this of Israel, not just the steaming. You think of Israel, right? They worshiped Baal. They were in this horrible worship where there was child sacrifice. Ooh, scary, right? We don't want to talk about that these days. Abortion and those things. But so you have this wicked nation doing this wicked thing, knowing the truth, right? And finally, after all these kings and judges and all this stuff, restored back in the land, at this point, the worship of Baal is now out of the land. The Jewish Jesuit were there, were zealous for the things of God and the law, and they've even taken the lot to an extreme, overzealous, creating something it isn't. 
And in that point, Jesus is going, hey, yeah, so you, you got rid of these false gods of the Old Testament of your fathers and stuff, but what state are you guys in now is not good. And what's worse than the state you are in now is what happens when you reject the Messiah. The temple might be clean, it might be ready, but if you don't let Jesus in, if you miss them as Savior, what's left? The temple and everything else, it's pointless. No matter how much cleaning, no matter how much oh, self-improvement you do in your life, if Jesus ain't a part of it, it's going to be a waste. That's the warning here. There isn't amount of you know, self-discipline or you know, whatever. You, you might just prolong your suffering, if anything. And so this is the warning he's given on them through the scripture here as he goes through. And, you know, it's kind of also interesting when you get into this and, and some of these, the, the theologies that come out of these things. Um, if Jesus is dwelling in your heart, there's no vacancies. He doesn't sublease. Okay? Simply put, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you have Jesus Christ in you, you cannot be indwelled by a demon. You cannot be demon-possessed. Um, it's out there. It's taught. Um, 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 16, which we covered in men's Bible study last week, says... We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, or is not sinning, okay, continuously, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. You know, and um, as we go through, and, and friends, and believers, and people who've been around, they, they get wrapped up in some of these things, and, you know, they're casting demons out of believers, it's like, but no, you should have been there if you would have seen it and seen what's going on. You should have been. I, and I'm sitting there going, well, in the Bible, show me that. Show me the script. But you don't understand what I experienced. It's not biblical. It's not there. And, and you'll have churches where they have uh, deliverance ministries or, or deliverance pastors. And um, since I'm young and um, don't have a great filter, I, I, I'm, you know, I believe in deliverance ministries. FedEx, Amazon, UPS, No. I don't want to beat them up. <laughs> that was kind of rough. But no, the truth is, I mean, I love them. And, I, I, and, and even in those things, I think there are deliverance ministers and there are people that are called deliverance ministers and they are not running around casting demons out of people that are still there uh, in the sense that are saved or believers. They just have that ministry of dealing people with addictions and things like that. But at the same time... Um, when people come up to me and go, but you didn't understand what I saw and what I believed. Okay? I know God works through my ignorance in spite of me. If somebody, you know, you, you have a scripture where, where it talks about, you know, many will come to him and say, but we did all these signs and wonders and miracles in your name, Lord. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. So if these people were there and they cast people out, would those people possibly get saved regardless of the person doing the casting out yeah god's going to meet that person where they're at and it doesn't matter what foolish person he puts in front of them many times as a person in front of somebody or sharing the gospel you better make sure your doctrine's right but there are many times god uses um things that are um and, and not it's not a mean word ignorant 
Ignorant is just a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, a lack of the word of God, right? God can work through situations. If I'm sitting there and even if somebody's telling me, hey, I have a demon of unforgiveness in me and I want to be done with it and I'm willing to and I say, okay, yeah, cast it out. I'm obviously having a heart change there as well, right? There should, we should all be uh, deliverance ministers or pastors or, or I guess more messengers. The whole book of Ephesians. You talk about, you know, they'll come in and, and name different sins and want to cast the demon out. Well, let's just look at it. The Bible says, put off anger and put on forgiveness. There's all through Ephesians, there's these put-offs and put-ons, put-offs and put-ons. And we should all, with each other, as we come up and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm dealing with this problem, or maybe they just come out you and, and, and do like, you know, we do many times, you know, we come out and sha-la-la-la-la-la, and then you're like, yeah, you definitely need to forgive that person. No, you should be mad with me at that person. No, you need to forgive that person, you know. And we can encourage them. Look at the word of God. Well, how, how would God do this? How, be gracious in that situation. We should all be helping each other in that sense. But the greatest deliverer was Jesus. He came in and delivered us from sin. He didn't just come and say, hey, if you believe in me, you get to heaven. And I'll catch you when you get there. You know, I'll, I'll see, catch you later, you know. So good luck with the rest of your life. I'll, no, he came to deliver us and free us from sin. He is the ultimate deliverer. And so as we look at these things and we look at him delivering people and we look at the scripture and what the word of God says, you know, um, it was interesting when I kind of looked at things and you look at today, I mean, I, at first I was doing the search of like, I wanted to see some of these historic things that believers had believed that aren't biblical, that, you know, now would be kind of like, really, they believe that and that's what they thought to be saved. But I didn't come across anything historical right off. I, there, there's a group that believe if you can walk across the bed of coals, it proves you're saved. That proves that you're saved. So, you know, not speaking in tongues or anything else. We pray for you, accept Christ, then we're going to send you across coals. You've walked across and you get burned. You've been sealed and this and this. They believe that. So my question is, what if you don't believe you still make it across the coals? Are you now saved regardless? I mean, you just, okay, so there, but no, but we saw it. They walked across the coals. So obviously it's a sign. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You know, and so you look at some of these things and it's like, knowing the word of God. How important is that? That truth. And the, and the thing is, now, nowadays truth is, is not readily available. Satan's done a very, very good job with destroying truth. Yes, media can be used for awesome things in Facebook, but how much untruth, and we're not talking just fake news, how about you look at all the, I mean, could you, can you even imagine how much unbiblical, satanic-filled advice is given on Facebook? You post something, everybody has an answer. Right? And what is it based on? Might be based on the bad feeling they're having from pizza that morning. You have no clue, but they'll give it to you, right? Like, hey, I just want to give you my two cents here. You know, and what is truth? How important is truth? Are you in the word of God? Is it in your head when things aren't shaken? Um, Phil this week was sharing with me. He goes, man, I came across the strangest things. Two guys came to my door and asked, you know, we, all, we go to such and such church, and do you believe in the mother of Jesus? 
Or, yeah? No, but when you get to heaven, do you believe you're going to meet Mother God? What? Yeah, are you going to meet Mother God? Of course, there's an older guy there. There's a younger guy there, of course, stumbling through it. And Philip goes, Mother God? Uh, no, I don't. I'm, you kind of lost me there. Well, yeah, you know, in, in Genesis it says, God made him in our image. Okay, so that's man and woman. So there's a female God. There's God's mother. If you look in Revelation, back here it says, you know, there, there was the mother and it's symbolism and birth and this. Well, the, the child's Christ, not God. God isn't a woman in that sense. It's, anyways, and he's, he's just sitting there kind of confused because he's never heard this before. Like, whoa, right? I'm, you're losing me, you know? And I've had a couple of those things. It's like, wow, how did you get there? And so, you know, he just simply goes, hey, is it okay if I grab my Bible? Sure. And he grabs his Bible, pulls out, and he goes, well, see, it says R right here. And he goes, well, look, R, but woman isn't created there. Woman was brought out of man. So we were, yeah, we we're created in the image of God. But look at, let's look at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was heaven and earth. And reads through it with the guy. And the young guy goes, wow, that makes a lot of sense in your Bible. And I'm like, oh, no. So Phil got them all in trouble. You know, Phil's just like, he wasn't being rude or nothing. I just don't get where your R is. Look, it's pretty obvious. Look at John 1, 1. That's the R. Talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about man and woman. I mean, how'd you get there? Amazing thing is, most... You, you ever read the Bible and it's like I've read through it and somebody comes and shares this philosophy view and you're like, I would have never got that. Only unless somebody would have, how, how did anybody ever get to that point of view? If I would have just read it, I would have been never there, that's for sure. I would have never jumped to that conclusion. And so knowing the Bible, going through the word, understanding it, then also but having it apply to your life. Um, as we continue on to verse 30, uh, where are we at? And so in verse 27, it said, And it happened, as soon as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which nursed you. Now, it's kind of an interesting. So here Jesus is talking about this and in, in this thing, and then you get like this blurp interruption, right? And it, and it kind of seems like at first an interruption. Um, don't know where it came from. We don't know anything about this woman. Was it... Um, a demonically inspired interruption? Was it a um, spiritually inspired, you know, kind of response? But, but it's interesting here in the scriptures when we're sitting here talking about this and you have this generation that is looking for a sign. Right? Looking for a sign. And in your life, if you're looking and going, I want to see if there's a sign that God is real. God, give me a sign that you're there. You know, and, and you see this and this, this thought of God, you know, show me a sign, or in this wicked generation looking for a sign, and it'll go into this more in the scripture here. But what more of a sign would it be than Mary? Do you know anybody that would need more of a sign that Jesus is who he said he was than Mary? You conceived without a man. That's a pretty big sign. Right? You watched him. You, you, you watched him grow from a child up to an adult sinless. I mean, you talk about signs, Right? And so, yeah, let's, let's look at that. And I love Jesus' response because he, he knows what the heart of the people around him are thinking. And if this is an interruption from whatever spirit it comes from, Jesus, in verse 28, turns it right back around and he says, but he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
Blessed are those. You, you call her blessed because she was there and saw these signs. I'm calling you, you are more blessed if you know the word of God and you keep it. What, what an interesting thought, right? It's like, any of you guys have any doubt that Mary ever doubted? with sign? I mean, and God's saying, hey, you're more blessed than her. Your knowledge and, and the understanding of God and who he is, more than any miraculous sign, is knowing the word of God. You know, you see people, they get all excited. Well, yes, I had this sign, and that's where I knew God was real. And God used that, and, and many times used whatever to work through our, our ignorance, if you would, and, and maybe bring us closer to him. But ultimately, what's going to cause you to understand and know God is knowing his word and having that relationship with him. It going from your head into your heart. And so, it just amazes me how God calls us out. And even more than that, here you have Mary who, who's blessed and knows the word of God and keeps it. But all the way through John, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the evidence of our salvation because we, this is before Christ, before the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. How much more blessed are we than even the people sitting there who knew God or know his word or the Old Testament by having even the Holy Spirit, that wisdom, so where there isn't a gray area. You ever come up to scripture and you go, well, I don't know, you get, you get to a situation where you're praying about something and you think it's a gray area, right? God, should I do this, should I not? I guess I could go both ways. And God goes, no, you're going to go this way. And you're like, you know, I've been studying the scripture. It doesn't really say exactly in that, you know, if I should buy a Lexus or a Honda. I didn't see Honda or Lexus in the original lexicon or in the Greek. So I'm trying to figure, no, if you're seeking the Holy Spirit, God's going to tell you, you probably don't need a loan on either one. Get a Yugo. No. Or some of you guys actually know what one of those are. Yeah. But, um, you know, you sit down and you look at the Word of God and those things, and there isn't a greater. We have the Holy Spirit. How much more knowing, or what greater sign is then there than that? You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Not just convicting you, but changing your heart. As we've gone through John in the men's Bible study, you sit there and you go, man, I've had a heart change. There's a real change in my life. The way I look at things, the way I live is different. People around me notice it. I, I have a heart and I, I have this holiness growing in me and this righteousness that's beginning to work in me. And, I, and there's no way in my own strength I'd ever be able to do this or even desire these things and God's done it. How much more, what greater sign is than there is of that and being sealed in the Holy Spirit. And so we have this example and the crowd in, in, in verse 29 as we continue and while the crowds were th were th uh, thickening, gathering together, he began to say, this is an evil generation, seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, it's interesting the time we're in, and you look at Matthew, Mark, uh, Acts, Luke, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Judges, it all warns, take heed they will be deceivers that are going to come doing miraculous signs and wonders. Well, look, but they did this great thing. You didn't understand what I saw. It's got to be of God because they did. No, does it line up with the word of God? Take heed, be aware of that. No sign but the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah, here, let's look at verse 30. It says, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, also the Son of Man will, will be 
to this generation a sign. Now, the Ninevites were a group of people that were in sin, ungodly. God was going to wipe them out. Jonah was going to told that judgment was coming to give them the message. Jonah was such a willing prophet servant that he ran the other way because he knew God. He knew God and goes, what? God, if I go tell them they might repent, I don't like them. I don't want them to repent. So you have like a severe racist here who runs away. But at a point, Jonah's in a boat. They're going to take out the ship. They're looking for him. The storm comes and he confesses, hey, God's wrath is not on all you. Just throw me overboard. The truth is God's after me. His wrath is designed for me. He takes God's wrath. He gets thrown in the ocean. Fish comes along, swallows him up for three days and three nights. Does that sound familiar? Right? And so as he's swollen and he, he's basically considered dead, I, um, you know, some scholars get into him probably being pale, his follicles, the, what digestive acids would do in a fish stomach for that period of time, what you'd look like. You wouldn't come out smelling good. But, you know, I think we can all agree, um, you know, he got thrown up on a beach. You just can't keep a good man down. So he got <laughs> chucked back up. So I stole that, by the way. Joe Foosh, I love the guy. So if you look at it, and so, but you have this thing. And, and I love the miraculous sign. What was the miraculous sign Jonah did to the Ninevites? He showed up and said, God's going to wipe you out in 40 days because you're wicked. And then he leaves and he goes up and sits on a hill and waits for 40 days. And then he's mad at God when he doesn't do it. I mean, the one thing you got to learn, when you read through Jonah, you get to the end, right? Somebody had to write that account. And I'll, as I look at it, Jonah was the only one there. So Jonah probably wrote that. Can you imagine Jonah like, yeah, later I repented and God did this and this. And as he's writing that, he gets that point and God's like, no, you're done. Don't write anymore. What? Come on. I mean, don't we get to the good part where I ask for you? I don't know. However it got recorded. It makes you wonder. But you sit there and you look at that. You talk about signs and wonders miracle, right? Signs and wonders. God's going to wipe you out. I know look, I stink like a fish. The only sign he had was, I'm a resurrected man of a fish. That's it. You know, I was in a fish. God made me come here. That wasn't my choice. You know right? Could you imagine that? Guy shows up, walks in here, and goes like, well, what happened to you? Well, I was trying to run from God. He wouldn't let me. He wanted me to come and tell you guys, if you don't repent, you're all going to die. Then leaves. I mean, maybe that would be a good way to start a revival. It did for the Ninevites. But there's that. That's what it was, right? That's the only sign you'll get is, hey, look, the Son of Man is going to be buried. He's going to rise again. There is going to be resurrection. The only sign and wonder you need is he's going to be resurrected. And, and there's nothing else you need besides that. You know, so many of us think, well, I've heard how many times ago, well, I would, I would, you know, I would seek God if. If I, you know, if, if he opened heavens and revealed it to me. No, I had one guy actually be honest with me. I was working with once. And as I was talking to him, I said, well, are you willing to pray that tonight as you sit there, where you go to bed, if God's real, that he'd roll back heavens and say hi. And if he does that, would you begin a relationship with him? Just thinking about it a minute. I said, I'll challenge you, pray. If he's willing to send his son down here to die for you and all this, I mean, what's that? Right? If that's the choice between heaven and hell, I know, my God, he loves you. He'll do it. So just pray it tonight. And he, after a little while, and he goes, you know what? Even if he did that, I wouldn't. I said, yeah, that's sad because that's the truth, right? Because he wanted to get debates, DNA, and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, it, I could convince you. It ain't matter. If he showed up and told you, hey, I'm God. Would you? No, I want it. He was actually honest about it. 
And I said, you know what the sad thing is? That means you already know. I don't have to debate with you. You already know the truth, and you're choosing not to accept it. That's why he hasn't rolled back heaven, because he's already done that in your heart, revealed himself, and you're refusing it. And so you look at those things, and as, as we look at this and continue on, so you have this example given, right? Back from the dead. Even in Luke 16, as we get there later, going through the book of Luke, there's a rich man. He goes down to Hades as he's sitting there waiting, and he says, hey, you know, let me go back and tell my family, you know, if, if a man would just come back from the dead. They said, no, no, not even if a dead man rose. Even, even they had Moses and they had the prophets and they didn't even listen to them. Nonetheless, if a man rises from the dead, they're not going to listen. And here Jesus did rise from the dead, you know. And, and it's scary to see sometimes you think, well, man, if I could just give, if there would just be a sign or a big miraculous thing, you know, if suddenly the moon turned around and said, I am Jesus, I am real, everybody would repent. No. The sad truth is they wouldn't. There's many that would be there. And that kind of goes, okay, where, where are our hearts with that? I mean, if you're here and you're not a believer, yeah, you should be scared of Satan. You're in his kingdom. You're not sealed by Christ. That's scary. I, I, you know, I, we fear for you and we pray for you. And you can see his working. But if you have a relationship with God, ha, I'm sealed by Christ. The stronger man's in me. You know, you can sit there. What else do you need? Jesus came. The God of all creation came down, died and paid for your sins on the cross. There is nothing greater than that. There's no greater sign. And I don't have to sit here and convince you because the Holy Spirit's tapping on your heart. I love it when we go out and share because I know that. The Holy Spirit, I don't got to convince somebody. The Holy Spirit's already doing that job saying, hey, hey, hey. You, you know when you hear truth. Phil sat there, it's like, I know Phil's such a Bible scholar, but no, he's not, you know, this just doesn't line up. And then just these things come, to, oh yeah, over here in the Bible, how does that line up with, I'm trying to understand you, but I'm so confused. Like, how about we look at the Bible? just doesn't sit right. It's not right with the Holy Spirit. What you're saying is off. You know, verse 31, it says, the queen of the south, or that was the queen of Sheba at the time, the area about uh, 1,300 miles south, back in the day of Solomon, will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, Greater than Solomon is here. So this queen heard of Solomon, heard of the God of Israel, heard of the wisdom that Solomon had, and she left for miles. She didn't need a sign. She didn't need anything. She didn't send emissaries. She wanted to go see. There's a man of God. Something's here. There is truth. And she went. And there, truth is standing right there in front of them, and they don't have to travel anywhere. That person, she's going, that, she's going to be a judge. She was willing to come for miles and miles and miles when, you know, there wasn't airlines, travel, trains, and everything else. And she's going to be even a judge against you in that time. Be, she'll be the judge against that generation. And the men of Nineveh will arise up and judge you with a, the, this generation and, and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, greater than Jonah is here. Now... Saying the greater of Jonah, I think the Jewish leaders wouldn't have had too problem, much problems with that, but saying the greater than Solomon is here? Man, you think of the wisdom of Solomon. Historically, there is nobody that has had more power and money than Solomon. There's never been a kingdom as great as his in human history, ever. The amount of wisdom God had given that man and everything else, and yet there's a greater than Solomon here for Jesus to say, I'm greater than Solomon. 
And I would say because of the Holy Spirit and God dwelling in us, available to you is greater than Solomon to guide and direct your life and give you wisdom in each and every situation. You know, it's amazing we shouldn't need these signs. Oh, we need a wise man. If somebody was just wise enough to tell us, oh, give us great signs. Jonah had no great signs. There's somebody greater. There's more truth and wisdom through Christ. There shouldn't be anything holding us back from repenting. And if you're a believer here and, and you have this relationship, you have this knowledge available to you, many times pray and ask, God, give me a hunger for your word. I, I sit and, and one, one of those things, I mean, you talk about, if you talked about morning devotions or getting in the word each and every day, right, you can convict everybody real quick. We all feel we don't get in the word of God enough. But I know for me, yeah, man, it's hard. I used to uh, kind of joke around, man, it was good I was teaching, you know, youth group and this and this because it forced me to be in Bible study. I had to prepare, you know. And I just, sometimes I just sit and go, God, man, I want a deeper, my heart's just not there. I need a deeper desire to be in your word. You know, you sat down and I, I remember after being in church for years and everything else and, and going, have I even ever read through the Bible? I've been a Christian for how many years and I've never read through the whole Bible? Do I know the whole counsel? Have I even just sat down and read it? And of course, you know, I have my good excuse. I'm dyslexic and I have a hard time reading and I hate it, you know? But now you can listen to the whole Bible. How long are you in your car every day? Turn on, I mean, there's all kinds of things out, you know, good, just sit there and just listen through the Word of God. And so I'd encourage you guys to get in the Word of God, get deep, know the Word of God, that nothing would, would move you, that no doctrine or whim coming through the church. You know, it, um, it, it's been said there's nothing new under the sun as far as that goes. And if you look through church history, you, you see, yeah, everybody's suddenly hyper, hyper uh, legalistic and creating laws that didn't exist. And, you know, now you're super spiritual if you sit on the top of basically a telephone pole and don't eat food. Suddenly now you're denying yourself like a weird mix of Buddhism to all the way over to witchcraft in the church. You know, you, you see these things slim. What's the word of God say? There should be nothing I can say here that you guys don't check. No. Hey, Tim, that kind of seemed off. What were you saying there? I mean, know your Bible. Know the word of God. Be fully equipped for everything God's called us to. And don't just let it be head knowledge. God, I've learned this biblical truth. Help me to apply it. You know, we, we sat down for the Valentine's dinner. God, love, you know, love my wife like Christ sacrificed to the church. Cool, I know that well. That's going to take me a lifetime to do. Right? That one verse is going to take me a lifetime application. I've got to wake up every day and die for my wife. And you know, I, I think about how, many, how much sweeter our relationship is after you know, 20 years we just came up on. And I think, wow, yeah, I kind of know this a little. I, got, I think I got the application of that verse somewhat down. I'm learning. 20 years from now, I'm going to look back and go, you didn't know a clue. You were so lost. Why did she put up with you? You know, uh, Isn't that the truth? Sometimes you're like, man, I thought I knew, my, I thought I knew what this scripture meant. You know? And it's amazing how the application of it. And guess what? If you have a theology and you go to try to apply it in your Christian walk and it fails, you probably had a wrong theology. It probably wasn't biblical. I've never had the, something I've learned in the Bible that's biblical-based fail. 
You know, you, you look at all the different things that have come through the church that people have decided, no, we're not going to trust the Word of God. My kids are in a class right now, and the teacher, English teacher, so I don't know why they're, you know, doing all this philosophy stuff, um, I guess is a Unitarian, I don't know, he believes in all religions, you can't believe the whole Bible, so they were given an assignment of basically, the Bible is not an errant, prove me wrong. Okay. So how do you believe in God? Is, you know, you want to believe, you know, it's like, I don't know how you are. I was trying to talk with them. It's like, we got all these things. There's Lee Strobel. There's all this evidence and all this. It's like, number one, you don't believe in God. You don't believe in God. If there is God and he desires to talk to us, he's going to make it clear. He's not Tim. He is, his handwriting doesn't get messed up and words get mixed up when he's trying to talk to me. And my wife, when we were dating, I wrote her a couple letters. She's still trying to decode what they mean. You know, God isn't that way. He can protect his word. He can get it to us clearly. He wants us. There isn't a problem there. You know? And it's like, so, basically, how do you argue that? We don't even have the same basis of belief. I mean, I like, okay, you need to accept that God is God and you're not and that he sent a savior for you. That's how we're going to change your argument on what the Bible is. Because if you can't believe those two things, you're lost. There's, there, right? So I'm sure they won't do that. I'm sure they'll, especially my daughter, blast him. No. But, you know, interesting guy. He's there to challenge him. You know, and um, so, yeah, it's a good challenge for him, I guess. You know, at least they're talking about it. I guess, in a way. But, yeah, Satan's out there. Satan's in college teaching English classes. Would seem more like philosophy classes. Yeah, did God really say? Can you trust that word? Well, maybe what about that word? No, we're going to take that one and that one because we don't like those. What do you call it? Black highlighter in your Bible? You ever use a black highlighter? So, but know your word. Know what's there. The great amazing thing is when you look at Satan and who he is as a believer, we are sealed. He can't touch us. He might torment us. There might be things that come at us, but nothing that God won't allow. If God's allowing it, it's for his purpose, it's not for Satan's. The only time I get into trouble isn't Satan's doing. It's Tim's doing. It's me looking at God and going, Nanner, Nanner, I'm going to walk away from what you're telling me not to do. And I know you're going to spank me, but I'm Jonah. I'm going to try to get away with it anyways. You know, that's the way that goes. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and that you are truth that you love us, that you desire to speak to us, that you desire that we would know you and know your word, that we aren't just looking for a show or a feeling, but we can have the solid truth of your word, that you did come to gather us to you, that each and every day you want to speak to us through your word, that we don't need any other person or thing. Father, we can just ask you, to speak to us and open your word and just sit at your feet. Help us to just have a desire to know you more, a desire to know your word, that we would be just fully equipped each and every day, that we would be able to just be effective in this world, that the truth in our lives that would shine, that we would be able to not just direct people to opinions, philosophies, or any of those things, but we'd be able to direct people to the true deliverer, God, the one who's delivered us from our sin, who delivered us from hell, who delivered us from 
the kingdom of Satan, Father. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.